Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. This is your host, Coach Todd Halls, and I am grateful, so grateful to be here with you today and excited to be here and thankful, grateful that you have joined us. Uh, So thank you very much for tuning in. Can't wait for you to get to know our guest today. Uh, Link Kroger is with us, and Link is, he's a husband, he's a dad, uh, he's an innovator and a pioneer. Uh, he's been in he's been in technology for 35 years now. And and with that link, if you will, fill in some of the blanks, tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hi Todd, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on your show. Look forward to our conversation. Um, so, you know, first I'll say I grew up in a little small rural town in Iowa and that, you know, that affects your your life where you grow up and what you've been exposed to. Um, so growing up in the small town, I knew, you know, graduating high school back in the 80s, I knew I was going to have a career in, in technology, which my reason then to be in software development is the, still the number one reason for most males today. They play video games and thought they would be video game developers someday, which which is rarely the case from people who get into uh, computer science and tech, but it's uh, what they think is going to happen. Um, and then, you know, my career after uh, graduating high school, and getting into uh, you know tech edu- I started my career in the Air Force and getting trained in software development and, and technology, um, and then I just continued to to go through you know mostly metropolitan California you know international traveling and all of a sudden I'd racked up 35 years in this industry of of applying technology and when I say applying technology what I mean is that could be Fortune 50 it could be Fortune 500 it could be consulting. It could be commercial, you know, West Coast-based commercial software companies and products that people buy, uh, Department of Defense, state government, um, really anything where you're putting a package or an ERP system or creating something custom to be innovative is 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 my background and experience. Cool. What um, when you talk about being innovative, as you think back over the thirty-five years, which which innovation? Uh, still excites you most that you've been part of? Well, I'd have to say what I'm working on now is uh, is how do I help? Um, how do we help people that um, need the help the most? And that applies to two areas. One is how do you help people to get the education they need to break out of poverty, to break out of generations of poverty, and um, to have you know a great career doing something that they didn't think was possible for them. And I'd say the other is uh, my organization, which is Night Moves, which, by the way, it's like the chess piece night. 
not like the Bob Seger song night and it's night moves, not night sets um, is we create innovations that benefit society, social innovations. And when I say that, what I mean is, you know, you think about, you know, companies like Uber and Airbnb or, you know, Amazon, when you think of all the great technology they create, they create those things to get rich right now. They're doing something valuable for society, but they do them to, uh, to become wealthy. We create our solutions to benefit society, right? Whether it could be homelessness or sex trafficking or drug addiction, you name it, we want to be creating these uh, innovative, disruptive platforms to be disrupting these areas that are disrupting society. Do you have an example? Um, we don't have one we've actually implemented yet, but okay. um, I could talk about some that we have in progress. For example, um, let's talk international disaster relief, right? So an international let's say there's a hurricane or a tsunami someplace in the world, we'll go interview world leaders that that's what they do, right? As their first responders to some international disaster. And we'll ask them, you know, what are your biggest challenges and biggest opportunities that you run into that need innovation, that need, that you just would be like, wow, if we have it. Um, and we interviewed three world leaders in the space of international disaster relief. And they came back with pretty consistent feedback. Um, I'll just share the first one. If you're interested in the other two, I'll, I'll pop those in. Uh, well, actually, I'll share the first two because they're both really interesting. Is um, The first one was, well, you know, we get feet on the street. And, you know, because nonprofits show up before like FEMA and federal responses, right? So nonprofits are fast, they're nimble. The federal are mighty and big, but slow, right? But when they get there, they've got a lot of firepower. But if you look at like, um, you know, usually like even church groups and faith-based groups are some of the first to arrive on the scene to help other human beings, right? When there's been these disasters. And they're like, you know, the first problem we have is three or four different groups show up and we need to go to every house to make sure they're, you know, there's nobody needs help from this earthquake. Well, and we're all going to the same neighborhoods. And then the other is, you know, there's just all this chaos going on. Could you give us a, a tool like maybe the ways of national disaster, right? Where when a restaurant opens, it's visible on a map. Like imagine using your mobile phone that we can divide and conquer neighborhoods to say, we're going to go to this neighborhood. You go to that neighborhood, right? Oh, this, this hospital is open. You can get gas here, right? And we can create this live um, visualization of what's happening in the community that we can all get to and organize from. So that's an example of a solution. Another one, um, really surprisingly, um, in international disaster relief, they said that 40% of all the supplies that get shipped that are intended for people, whether it's medical supplies or water or, water or food, 40% of those supplies disappear. They don't make it to their end recipients. And you go, 40%, that's like crazy high, right? So think of four of every 10 items just never make it to the people. So we'd sit down with them and do a deep dive and say, well, why is this and how could we prevent that? And then we design a solution that that would actually solve a big part of that problem. In this case, it's creating a chain of custody application, right? So, um, and I'm going to a little bit of details here, but just to kind of envision the research we do and then the solutioning is, you go, okay, now think of the challenges of responding to an international disaster, right? You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know where it's going to happen. And you have to figure out how do I get this rice or food or, you know, whatever it is, medical supplies from this warehouse in the United States or wherever to, you know, Istanbul, right? And mm -hmm. 
you, you've got this whole network of people that has to go through and they don't know any of them typically, right? Or many. Now they try to have as many in their connection as they can. So you're creating this dynamic list of human beings that it's going to go from one person to the next person to the next person, right? And it just disappears and what gets there gets there. So how about we create a chain of custody application, meaning, okay, Todd, you have this 24 boxes that just came to you. And then I have them. And on your phone, you say, okay, I just gave them the link. So there's big visibility. And link says, yep. And you go, yep. And he actually got all 24 boxes that I got. And you create that visibility because, you know, the two biggest areas that um, why these things disappear are number one is corruption, right? People get mm -hmm. stuff and then they sell part of it and they pocket the money. Well, creating visibility to those items would help reduce that or eliminate it, right? The other area is, well, Todd, you just received all these supplies and there was a tsunami or a hurricane and you can get them, but you can't take them to the next place. And you just put them in you know, your shed because you don't know what to do with them. If the organizations had visibility to that, they could send help, but they just don't know where it's at. So anyway, creating those visibility and chain of custody apps, because you know, there's just not a lot of money going into innovating in these social innovation and public benefiting causes. So that's that's what we want to do is create a focus on all these areas and creating the the, uh, the disruption innovation around solving these problems and helping these nonprofits. Typically, we're helping other nonprofits with their problems, right? And we're being the innovator behind them. And by the way, you can, if you have ideas, go to nightmoves.org. And there's a tool called Problem Hunter, where you can suggest your social innovation idea of, hey, what could we be focusing on to actually, what's your big idea on on innovating one of these areas of anything that would serve society in a better way? Love that. When did you launch Night Moves? So it launched as a uh, limiting profit organization just in this last quarter, um, but we ran it as a nonprofit for a year and a half. And it spun off of a successful program that we did commercially for a tech company that I can talk a little bit more about the genesis of it. But um, we flipped from a nonprofit to a limiting profit for two main reasons. One is our attorneys just kept telling us, you can't do that as a nonprofit. It's not legal. And we're like, well, if we can't do it, it's not going to work, right? We're not going to succeed. And they're like, well, IRS says you can't do that. Thou shalt not. So we're like, okay, fine. We'll just do this as a limiting profit social benefiting organization. And uh, the other is there's just a lot of organizations asking us to do things. Um, you know, it takes money to do these things. So we actually have a self-sustaining model that we can finance what we do instead of begging for money all the time from foundations and grants and things like this, um, that we can do it through selling services and what we do. Um, and also just two quick uh, discoveries as a nonprofit, right? So if you're an innovator, probably the worst place you can possibly be is the nonprofit space. So the two big discoveries we made were, one is if you're an innovator and you come out and you try to do something to make the world a better place as a 501c3 or nonprofit, one of the first questions foundations ask you is, have you been doing this for years? And you say, well, nope, I'm new. This is innovative, right? It's entrepreneurial. And they go, well, almost all foundations will not give any grants to, to nonprofits that are less than four years old, right? Didn't know that. I'd never ran a nonprofit, never did it before. And, um, and you go, well, okay, well, then you start, once you get into the belly of the whale, right? And you start seeing the system, you go, well, I can understand why 
not that much really rapidly advances in, in our social innovation and advancing our causes because if you think about it right, if foundations who are the foundations and federal grants are the two big right funders of nonprofits. And if you can't do anything that's less than four years old, all you're doing is funding the same nonprofits that aren't advancing causes fast enough, right? You're not, there's not really mechanisms to fund innovation in the nonprofit space. And on the federal grant side, the challenge is um, you can't really do things that are transformative that take time because the first checkbox on these federal grants typically is how many jobs are you creating year one, year two, and at most year three. So if you're doing anything community transforming that takes three to four years to really get fired up, they won't, you can't win. So you've got these constraints on both sides of the systems with foundations and federal grants that just aren't good places for transformative, innovative uh, nonprofits. So that's why we flipped models to be a uh, limiting profit model and a um, social benefiting corporate model. So as a, as a, Listen to you share that it's almost like the system's designed to keep the system the same. Yeah. Like and it, you know, um, this is my personal perspective. I wouldn't call it design systemic racism or discrimination, but it's definitely systemic. I don't think people are trying to keep people down, but mm-hmm. I mean, you look at foundations, right? And you ask foundations, well, why can't you support innovation? And they say, well, look, you know, we're pretty much rich. This is, an overgeneralization, right? But pretty much rich people give foundations money because they don't want people coming to them asking for money, right? Because they go, oh, go talk to my foundation and apply for funds there. And I put my money there. So then foundations get really risk averse because if they invest in non-successful, right, nonprofit aspects, all right, where they put their money, then they get you know, black marks next to their name saying, you know, you just invested in Solyndra, right? That, you know, electric company that went tank. So they don't want to invest anything that has any risk to it all because then the rich people stop coming to them to donate because they go, oh, you're not managing your money well. So now if you can find wealthy people who will fund it themselves, but you're probably not going to find foundations to, to fund, you know, innovative philanthropy. So I'll just say, you know, when I dig into the why can't you do this, I understand their reasons and they're not trying to block innovation, but the system is just designed against innovation. Yeah. Yeah. So after your years, call it in in the marketplace, what what prompted you to take this step to do to do this work? Well, one is, you know, my last company, I was a minority owner. So when we sold the company about two years ago, it put me in a position to say, hey, what do you want to do with your life, right? Where do you want to invest in versus just I'm going to have to get a job? And I said, well, you know, I'm going to take all of my experience from training, from diversity inclusion, from technology, and really apply it. Um, I did this project. It was called the Jefferson Forge. Um, so my, my previous company was a technology services firm, right? Meaning companies would come to us and it's a trillion dollar U.S. industry, right? Where you create technology for companies. So every company out there needs technology, whether you're small or big. Now, our, our wheelhouse was typically companies, three, $500 million of annual revenue, right? And they all need lots of technology. So my primary competitor was India, right? Who... So when I was going in, it was low cost services from India or offshore. 
Um, so I was like, you know, I've been studying this field for of rural for about a decade of watching these rural communities try to become the next, try to rural shore instead of offshore. And they had between an 85 to 95% failure rate. So I just go to the people who tried to create these rural technology training and job hubs and said, Hey, why'd it fail? Right. And they'd say, well, here's the reasons. And over, you know, a period of years interviewing these people, I came back with, here's the seven reasons this is going to fail. If you don't have all seven of these things, it's not going to work. And then I actually, fortunately, was asked by the U.S. Department of Agriculture to do a rural prosperity tour with them and kind of keynote to these rural communities thinking about it to share these seven areas, right? And so before they get into it, realize here's the cost you got to be ready to pay if you're going to get into this. But then, you know, me being in the technology industry, I said, well, I can do all these things, right? It's usually it was an educator or an economic developer driving these these you know, tries at, at getting into these rural tech jobs and they just didn't know how to do it. Right. They just didn't, didn't have that background. So um, if you, you know, you can search, it's called Jefferson Forge. It was in Jefferson, Iowa, my last company, Pillar Technology. We piloted this approach where you bring training and jobs. And when I say training, I mean, you know, Night Moves is a program that our graduates rival for your computer science degree graduates. Meaning if you hire one of our graduates, a company will save Twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollars in reduced onboarding and training expenses to hire one of our graduates and put them on the job as a four-year public degree computer science degree graduate, right? So we're we're a um, exceed the the quality of a four-year computer science degree program, which is what really sets it. And it's the first of our four pillars of what we do is that training that that you know companies companies line up to get our grads, right? And we focus on rural, Native American, and urban underserved communities. That That's our exclusive focus. Um, but getting back to your question, Todd, is, um, you know, I saw companies saying they want to make a difference in diversity and inclusion, but not really being able to make an impact, right? And when I say make an impact, really what companies' diversity and inclusion initiatives are is how do we hire talent from other companies that um, they can get into their own company but companies just are not positioned to cultivate and create more talent, like both just more tech talent and more diverse tech talent. And they count on the college system to do that. Well, you know, if you look at the current approximate shortage annually of computer science talent, it's about one to one and a half million unfilled positions a year in the United States, right? That don't get filled. So the colleges aren't doing a good job recruiting enough talent into the, into their pipeline. And second is they're doing an abysmal job at getting, you know, minority native American, right? Um, rural populations have a much lower percentage of going to four-year computer science degree programs. So we set out to solve the problems that, you know, fill these gaps of why isn't education business and, um, you know, government, what aren't they doing in these spaces to advance true um, diversity and inclusion? When I say true, again, we're going to go after immigrants and minorities in inner city, Native Americans and rural, right? We're going to go after, those are your three big left behind demographics that are just people aren't, we're not doing enough to advance them. So long answer, sorry about the detail there, but hopefully it gets you to, it's easy to ask more questions when you go into that much detail. So, you mentioned the four pillars a couple of times. Pillar number one is is training or education. Is that, is, that, is that right? That's correct. And if I've missed them, I apologize. Can you give me the other three? So yeah. I'm good at this. So the second is our social innovation. 
right? So we're we're creating um, solutions, technology platforms, and solutions that benefit um, society. Um, the other is our demographics we support in our training program are exclusively, you know, urban underserved, rural, and Native American, right? So that's mm-hmm. the first three pillars of what we do. The fourth is we provide technology services for companies um, that would go out. Let's say you're going to go out to a consulting organization and you need a software product created. Well, we'll do that. But what we'll do is we'll say, well, you know, you're going to buy these services from somebody. Why not buy them from a social benefiting organization? Because we don't take our profits and buy bigger yachts, right? We take it and we're going to invest it into your next generation of talent into these communities and creating a, a true diverse work stream, right? Because we're not in this to make money. We're in this to to create great services for you and solve these problems in society that we just described without you having to do anything different. And that's really the key with businesses, right? Is don't ask them to do something different. Just say, we're going to do it all the work for you. Just when you buy our services, that's all you have to do. And all these other things happen and we'll do that. But that's our self-sustaining mechanism is for companies to buy our services that they're going to buy anyway, right? So if you're going to buy it anyway, why not buy it from an organization that does all these great things for society and provide you the talent you need to grow your business and the services you need to create the products you need to grow in your business and help it become more efficient? Mm-hmm. So the, the the folks that you're training, your students, you, you mentioned that your students, is there are they paying to to go through the training or is that part of the part of what the 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 technology that you're doing for the companies is funding so um there's three phases of the training the first phase is so todd i'll just act like i'm talking to you right and we'll typically start um reaching out to individuals their freshman sophomore year of high school right because if you want to get more people into technology you have to start younger and if you want to get more diversity in the technology, you have to start younger. Because statistically, if people don't get into computer science by the time they're 18, it's very small percentage you're going to actually impact. So, and I can tell you from talking to thousands of young people that they just don't have any idea what technology is, right? So what Mm -hmm. we're exceptionally good at is, Todd, you're a sophomore in high school. We come to you and in 30 minutes, we can talk to a set of high school students and get 30 to 40% of them to say, wow, I had no idea that a career in technology would be interesting to me. What do I do next? And then we bridge them to sign up the next semester in a software development course. And in most of the United States, it's free to take a dual enrollment course while you're in high school. Um, There's no charge to the student right? In most of the states in the United States. So that's where, again, we don't want to duplicate what the education system's doing. We have seven specific computer science courses that are prerequisites to our training program that we recruit students into um, taking. And then once you complete those seven prerequisite courses, which is going to typically take most people six months to maybe a year out of high school to complete those courses. They can get them done while they're in high school, but um, we're not trying to turn high school into a college prep program, right? We want you to still enjoy high school. And by the way, homeschoolers, if we're in that community, would be great matching with this, right? It's it's something we're going to work with any, you know, demographic of, of population as long as it's a community we're in. And if you go to nightmoves.org, 
you can see the requirements of our communities. There's a community page and you can see, hey, how do I become one of your communities? So the second phase of our training is our actual training program itself. So Todd, once you complete the prerequisite courses, now you can apply to come to our program. If you're accepted and you meet our criteria, this program costs us fifteen dollars to $20,000 to provide to you. But here's the kicker. You don't pay up front. And if in the end you don't get the job, you don't pay for it. It comes with a job guarantee if you can meet our criteria. And then the third phase of the training is you actually do professional work for companies. So in our core training, um, it's not classroom-based. It's not grade-based. It's you are solving, you join a team, Todd, of seven to 12 people. You're, you're, you're creating software like a modern agile software product team would do, just like say you're working for Google or Microsoft or Amazon or a John Deere, or you, know, you pick a big company or a tech company, even an innovative startup. And the way that those companies create software is the same way that we build software. So that whole minimally six months, you're creating real solutions, but you're creating those solutions for real production use that goes into use, but it's serving these nonprofits, those social innovations, right? And you only graduate our training program when you demonstrate you can do the job in every area. So that's our promise to employers that you're hiring someone who can hit the ground running, joining your team, being able to actually create technology the way that their modern technology creates, which by the way, four-year college programs, that's not their mission is, is creating people that can be productive day one. You learn a lot, the great programs, no knock, but ours is, is there. So phase one of the training, you're completing these seven computer science courses that are our prerequisites. Second phase, you're completing our training, which is hands-on real-world technology creation to advance nonprofit and philanthropic missions. Phase three is you spend at least six months being paid. Now you're being paid, but minimally those six months. But the majority of the money that you're getting paid goes to pay off your training costs, right? So now you're actually applying yourself. You're making like $15 an hour. But from the other money you would be making, it pays off your training costs from our program. So now you start your end job after that phase three. You start your job with no debt. And let's say you're 20 years old and you started around $60,000 a year. So you're starting two to three years sooner than if you went to get a four-year degree, but you have no debt. And in those two years, right, you can make $120,000, $140,000 instead of racking up more debt. Once again, I give you too long of an answer, but you're getting the thorough answer of how the three phases of the training work and how the money works. Yeah. So it didn't feel like too long an answer at all because it, it did answer the question and it, it paints a picture of this relationship um, that you have this bridge between student and company um, and, and just the how it's all intertwined. It's, it's remarkable. Um, how often do your students, like they're working in these companies for six months, do you anticipate or do you, do you see a lot of them just continuing on with that company or do you see them going out into more out into the market or just time will tell? Well, and, and you know, let's, let's look at our purpose, right? So let's say um, we're in, let's just pick a native American community that, that we're working in. Right. So our mission when we go into that community is to be transformative. So it takes three to four years to get this engine fired up. Right. You think about, we've got to recruit, Young people in high school, typically, you know, sophomores starting their junior year, they're going to have two to three years of the prerequisites. 
Then you have our program, which is a six months plus of the training. And then they have at least six months with an actual employer. So that's a two to four year cycle. But now once we're to that point, then every year you create 15 to 25 jobs every year in that community. And we're focused then on getting all these employers to hire those graduates because our goal is to create a diversity of employers, right? So imagine having 15 graduates in a Native American community that go to five to 15 employers by the time all of this is done. And then rinse and repeat, do that every year. Because especially in rural and Native American communities, it's critical to create a diversity of employers because you don't want one employer who decides they go under, they get bought, right? They get acquired. And now you've got all these jobs that are out there. Inner cities is different, right? Because you already have a wide mix of employers in, in that. But especially in rural Native American, we've got to really focus on creating employer diversity um, for our graduates. And and really, you know, COVID um, has been the best uh, blessing, if I might say, to this initiative. Because two years ago, if you ask me the hardest part of this is getting companies you know, it's easy to get them to agree to hire minority talent, right? In, in urban areas, that's like, they just, you know, we couldn't create enough talent and to meet that demand, period, right? There's just so much demand for minority, but getting companies to say, you know, we'll hire Native Americans and, and uh, rural community members and let them stay remote. That was really hard two years ago. And even with all the return to work, the computer science space. I mean, if you can do your job in India, you can do it in small town, wherever, right? So, um, you know, we're not seeing any pushback with reversing from work for anywhere for these computer science type jobs because it's it's here to stay in the computer science space. Other areas like accounting and whatnot, you're seeing a lot of those push back to the office. But computer science, it's still pretty prevalent to work from anywhere. Sure, sure, sure. Cool. For you personally, like I get the sense of the mission of the company. Why is this so compelling to you? Why, why, why this? Well, you know, there's some things in life you just have that inner, I have to do this, right? Um, you, you, uh, you know, I, well, like when I was in the state of Washington, um, and I frequently cry in my presentations, right? And I, I want to be careful in what I think about. I don't want to just start. I mean, I'm fine. I don't, I don't have any problem crying either, right? If I cry on your podcast. But when you go meet a Native American community and you meet a group of young women and you go, you know, one of these five women are going to get abducted and sold into sex trafficking before they're 18. That's statistics, right? You can be in a town and if the, um, if the, if the young kids all the way to graduating high school, if their family doesn't live on the reservation, they probably can't walk home because these young women just disappear. The only place I've ever seen in the United States, human beings living in a dump was Native Americans in the state of Washington when I was out there in dump-like conditions, right? So when I go to these communities and I go, we're just not, right? You know, inner city, I was just in North St. Louis, right? You know, the the amount of deaths and the gangs and the lack, I mean, the hopelessness of the population in these communities. You know, you're 30 minutes away in North St. Louis from one of the best places in the country to live, but you're living in one of the worst places, right, to live in the country for violence and future and all these pieces. We've got to do something to turn this around. And I'd say also the other motivation for me is, you know, I, I just think about how many billions and billions of dollars go into innovating 
for people to do great things for us, like with products and services, but they're to make people rich. And so little goes into invest in technology innovation for advancing social innovation for public benefiting causes. You know, somebody's got to stand and, and do something in these areas. And I, I just feel called to do it, Todd. That's, that's why I do it. That's awesome. Um, well, the next thing would be where, where, do, where do you get your calling from? Well, um, you know, for me, I have a very strong faith. Um, and, um, I, I just believe it's, you know, absolutely spiritually led and that it's the, that, you know, we're here to be a light. Um, and you know, this is not an evangelical business. It's a, you know, I look at what Jesus called us to do, right? He called us, when you see someone thirsty, you gave them something to drink, you help the widows and the orphans. And our mission is to be, um, you know, and, and we don't have any religious aspect of our company from somebody who comes and be part of it. In fact, our, our, our kind of commission is what makes you move, right? So I'll just be very frank. If you, you know, if Black Lives Matters makes you move, but it makes you move to do something to help other human beings, join us. As long as you're not going to be offended about what makes the person sitting next to you help, right? Society. So all these people, we want to be an organization that no matter what your motivator is to help people, you can join and you can be part of a, of an organization that your life, your work-life balance, your contribution, um, your quality of life is part of our mission as a company, right? We, we, in fact, like when we talk about our services aspect of our business for companies, we pay no commissions, right? There's no death marches with what we do. And I've been in the consulting industry a long time, right? And companies will sell whatever they can sell to make a buck for the most part. And if it puts their people through hell to meet those objectives, they will. We're not going to sell those deals, right? I'm not saying the job won't be hard at times because it's tech, right? But um, our employees are our mission also. And it's a it's an opportunity for you. Every day you come into work, you have the opportunity, not just the opportunity, every day you're going to make somebody's life better. Whether you're focused on helping people come through our, our program and you're focused on social innovations and leading a team of people that are learning to create technology, whether you're doing services for our clients, um, every day, because you're going to know when you do those services, the money from that is what funds our mission. Um, you're you're going to see impact to the world, making it a better place every day. There's uh, there's several things in there uh, that that we go a lot of different directions with that. So thanks for sharing that. You mentioned you know if somebody comes in and, and you're um, this question, what makes you move? And if it makes you move towards the betterment of humanity, welcome. As long as what makes the person next to you move doesn't offend you something to that effect absolutely right if you can have um well you can imagine whatever contrast you want to imagine in your head right as long as you're there to make the world a better place um and you want to work together to do that you are absolutely welcome to come to this organization i'm curious your thoughts on where we're at uh as a society where there seem to be less and less places where you and I, if we disagree on something or have different views, um, just seems there's less and less people 
with opposing views or differing views, talking about it civilly um, and and maintaining heck even friendship in a lot of a lot of cases, um, which I see it happening around me, and it still it seems so foreign. Like when when did we become unable to agree to disagree and then go have a sandwich together? And just wondering your thoughts on that, and what's the solution if there is one? Well, our, I hope our solution is. And I absolutely agree with you. And that's why if you go to our website, there's a there's actually a song you can play that calls What Makes You Move that is basically the theme to this, right, to attract people to it. Um, but we just want to be the example of how to do it, right? So if you've got um, a Muslim sitting next to a Christian, sitting next to LGBT, sitting next to whoever, we're all loving each other and working together, right? And um, we we also take advantage of so since when you're in urban, you're going to typically have a Democrat, right, as an elected official. When you're in rural, it's typically Republican. So if you look at our past work, right, you're going to see like a really close partner of ours is Iowa's Governor Kim Reynolds, right, a conservative Midwestern governor. Um, she fact, she gave the, um, I think, what do you call it, the Republican address to President Biden's um, State of the Union address at the last one, so you could know who she is. Then we work really closely with a progressive Democrat from California, Congress member Rokana, right? And getting those two and, and uh, Congressman, uh, Congress member Kana had a book come out, Dignity in a Digital Age, which we're in chapter two of that, by the way, in March. But he wrote an incredible paragraph in there about his experience at one of our events where he describes his background and he describes Governor Reynolds' background. And they're both on the stage promoting the same thing and just the electricity in the air of them coming together. And they did a joint Fox news interview, you know, about this where they're not debating anything against it, right? Everything is, how do you, what is there to debate about helping people and doing this? So we want to be that light too, with helping both sides of the party come together wherever. So wherever we're working in a state, we're going to look at having a rural and minimally an urban underserved implementation. Right. And that lets us focus on people on other sides of the political aisle to say, you know what, let's work together and let's not work together for one side or the other side, but let's get everyone advancing in this. And so for us, it's just about doing what we should be doing and less about worrying about what other people aren't doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh love that you're just trying to be the example. It's a, Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful thing. What are you most excited about for your for this organization for Night Moves uh, in the next year year and a half? As you as you look ahead, like what do, what do you just like can't wait to see this come to fruition? Um, you know, I think the area in my heart. This is a heart response. Is it? there's nothing that makes me happier than when I see native Americans discover this. And, um, and I think the reason is you look at all of the, the, the problems with, you know, you know, there's what 374 native American tribes. And, you know, we go and we ask them, Hey, why is this paradox exist? Right. You have um, like the lowest demographic, one of the lowest, if not the lowest of a tennis to four-year college. But yet you also, at times we see you get unused scholarships of people who don't go. Why does that paradox exist? Right. And we, but we never go in with any presumption answers. 
and just meet with tribal leaders. And they said, well, Link, you need to understand something, right? One is you look at Native Americans as Native Americans, right? You know, you got to think about it, right? Whether you're Navajo or Cheyenne or Comanche or Kiowa or you name it, we're different people groups. And there's only 4,000 of us left on the planet out in the middle of nowhere where we got stuck, right? And this is it. When we die, we're done. You know, and um, so for us, we actually, you hear this, we encourage our young people to not leave and go to college because if they leave and go to college, they don't come back and we're done. So they absolutely love our program because we bring our training to them. We bring the job to them. And in fact, the last Native American tribe we presented this opportunity to. So normally, let's say we go into a high school and we talk to, to the young people and we say, we're not asking you to make a career decision. We're just asking you to sign up for this next semester's computer science software development course and see if you like it. Discover it, right? Experience it. If you don't like it, don't go anymore, right? But if you do, here's the next one you go to. We'll get 30 to 40% of the kids to go, well, I'll try that. I'll experiment. I'll discover something and see if it's for me. The last um, Native American tribe we went to, we presented to all their 8th through 11th graders. 58% of the kids said, if I had this opportunity, I'd sign up for that class. 48% of them were females, right? Now, that is off the charts. If you talk to anybody about going and presenting to all the high school students and saying, hey, how many people would like to sign up for the software development class? You're going to probably hear a one to two percentage of the kids signing up for the computer science class with seven to 10% of those signing up being women, right? So when you hear 58% of these young people saying, I would love this because I'd love it because it gives me the opportunity for the kind of career I want and to stay with my people, right? My spirituality, my past, my future, you know, they have their own languages they learn. They really want to stay part of their tribe. But when they stay, look at the level of alcoholism, of drug addiction, of diabetes, right? There's no opportunity on these, on these reservations for people. This brings something to them they've never seen before. So it excites me because there, uh, there's just nothing like it that I've seen helping Native Americans. Um, and we've got to do something to help Native Americans. Yeah. Well, what comes to mind is, well, the word that comes to mind is just hope. Like, like they're, they're with their people um, who don't want them to leave, right? Like culturally, they're, they're being brought up to stay with the tribe. Um, and at some point they're looking around, they know there's no, like, this is, this is it, right? Where now you, what you offer is a sense of hope. Like suddenly, at least that's in my head what, what I see. Like suddenly there's this, there's this opportunity presented to them where you can, you can radically change, transform your life and in doing so, um, the lives of people around you. Um, and still um, fulfill the, this duty, this obligation you feel for the tribe by staying here and, and being part of it and, and, and helping it. Um, all that is to say, it, it's, it's just a sense of hope, and it, it fills me with, with hope and joy for, for what you're doing. Um, so, so thank you for that. So as we as we get close to to wrapping up here, I'm wondering if you could think of one important or impactful question 
that you would like our listeners thinking about? What question would you have all of us on the other side of the speaker pondering? I mean, is, is reference to what they would like ask night moves about or just in, um, it could be what they'd ask night moves about. It could be, um, it could be what just, you know, we talked a little bit about society on, on a larger scale. We talked a little bit about this, um, this inability to, um, to have different opinions. Uh, we talked about night moves. So within any of that or, or life or just from your broader sense, broader experience, just an important question that we should be thinking about. Okay. Well, I'll give you a shameless commercial then. If you know anyone that's a, a tech, like a professional enterprise technologist who wants to make the world a better place, point them to our website and say, contact us specifically in the software product space. And I'll try to give you a non-commercial version too, because, you know, we're always trying to find um, people who want to make a difference that are qualified, right? That are, you know, in that commercial software product uh, space that are in consulting or work for big companies. Um, so that's my, my shameless commercial asking for talent. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, there's problems all around us and we're here to be the solution. Are you aware of the, you know, drive to a community, right? Um, like North St. Louis, right? Or wherever you're at, drive to some place with people in need and talk to them right? And don't go in presumptuous um, with you think you understand and just listen to people, right? So that would be my question is, where can you go where you have all of these presumptions of, you know, your cultural bubble of why you think people do what they do and just talk to them. And you will hear very different answers than you think. And then you'll start getting ideas of, how do I solve this? How do I contribute to solutions? And, you know, frankly, do you even care? Right. I mean, so one of the um, videos that, you know, we do this as a training session now, but we're going to be having, you know, some videos on it, but, but succinctly is, you know, we want to teach young people what things are like kindness. So imagine we've got a room of 10, 20 young people, high schoolers, and we say, Hey, um, Tell us what your physical needs are, right? Well, oh, I need to eat. I need clothing. I need a, I need a place to stay, right? And then you, you let them exhaust all the physical things they need. Then you say, well, what are the emotional needs you have? Well, you know, we need, you know, um, we need love and affection. And then you get into what are those, you know, spiritual or those real life meaningful purpose things, right? Well, I need a job with dignity. I need to feel like I have purpose in my life. And you say, okay, now. This simply is what kindness is, right? Kindness is when you see another human being who doesn't have one of the things we just talked about or isn't going to have, and you do something about it. That's what kindness is, right? I mean, we just, our young people, if you look at whether it's gun violence or you look at whatever identity politics, right? I only care if they're like me. It's we've forgotten the message of kindness, right? you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, being faithful, being gentle, having self-control. These are the elements that we need to be imparting into our young people that they're not getting, right? And we don't need to do it from a religious perspective. We need to do it from a meaning perspective. I just taught on kindness without talking any religion around it, right? And 
but we need to be doing that. And but but back to the answering your question is we need to walk in that ourselves, right? And kindness, if you look at the core word, right, it means we're the same kind. And that means as human beings, I have the same physical, emotional, spiritual, deep, meaningful needs as you have, no matter who you are. And I need to do something to help you, right? So once again, you got too long of an answer, Todd, but that's uh, <laughs> that's my my parting thought for you. Well, and I appreciate that thought. What comes to mind is um, we need to put the humanity back into being a human. Like let's 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 just treat each other with kindness. Amen. Link, thanks so much for being on. I really, really, really appreciate it. And, and thanks for what you're doing. Uh, it is phenomenal. Um, you, you've mentioned some some statistics, some figures that I had no idea. They're, they're, you're thinking of the rate of abduction uh, in Native Americans, and I'm, I'm going to process that and, and, and pray about it. It's just it's a, that's a big percentage. It's, it's horrifying. Um, so anyhow, all that is to say thank you so much for what you and, and your team are doing. For for folks that are listening that want to get talk to you more, learn more about it, uh, if you would, give us whatever channels, best ways to do so. Uh, to do what? I'm sorry? To contact. If they want to contact oh. you, reach out. Just go to nightmoves.org, um, which is, again, it's night like the chess piece. And there's a contact us and you can just reach out via that and um, we'll, we'll get your, your, your question or your feedback or whatnot. Awesome. Link, thanks so much. Uh, time is precious. I, I appreciate yours. Uh, and same to you listeners, your time is precious. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put on your heart, remember you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, live life strong, everybody. Peace to you. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.